0: To number 10 of the IU Talks podcast series. This episode includes a special session from the Green Climate Fund's Global Programming Conference that took place from August 19 to August 23 in Songdo, Korea. The session centered on catalyzing innovation and mobilizing investments at scale. It included commentary from Dr. Joe Puri head of the Independent Evaluation Unit at the Green Climate Fund, His Excellency, Wallace Cosgrove, Minister of Environment, Energy and Climate Change of the Seychelles, Ms. Camilla Otto, Director of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, and Ms. Kate Montgomery, head of Business Development at Acumen Fund, Inc. The session was moderated by Mr. Mitch Carpen, Head of Risk Management and Compliance at the Green Climate Fund. This week-long event provided an important forum for high-level dialogue on country and entity programming with the GCF. If you have questions or comments about our podcast, please tweet us at GCF EVAL. That's GCF underscore EVAL, and remember to use the hashtag IEUPOD. Thank you. The
1: global world uh, community must act uh, with a sense of urgency and at scale uh, to ensure uh, that we meet the Paris Agreement and the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. Uh, There is considerable pressure on the private side uh, actors uh, to act uh, on behalf of climate change, uh, given the magnitude of resources uh, that are needed. It is estimated that only uh, about 5% of uh, private side uh, investments are are directed uh, to uh, climate change related activity. Uh, We do, however, notice the tide is uh, turning. Uh, More and more private side entities are seeking to extend their conventional bottom line approach of fiscal uh, performance or profits and loss uh, by adding a second bottom line, uh, namely that of uh, uh, having a positive social uh, impact for which uh, climate change uh, is, is one of those uh, objectives. Uh, many FIs are also seeking to reduce uh, their exposure to fossil fuel, uh, so that uh, effectively is, a, is an action in favor of uh, climate change. The GCF is the leading uh, dedicated fund uh, for dealing with climate change and helping uh, countries uh, uh, attain their low emission and climate resilient pathways. Uh, the, as of 2015, uh, when the GCF started, and as of today, actually, uh, we are engaged in 25 private sector uh, projects, uh, totaling $2.2 billion, uh, and able to mobilize another $7 billion, So it's a one to three uh, mobilization rate, which is not too bad for a, a startup entity. Uh, but the need is greater. Uh, and That's why we're here today Uh, the gcf recognizes the private side has an important part to play Uh, so we we are actively engaging Uh, we're looking to develop an opportunity a platform uh, for co-investing and form financial solutions with private side for uh, countries to achieve their climate uh, mandate so uh, i'll stop there with that introduction and i'll uh, let the uh, panelists introduce themselves Uh, their countries or their entities uh, 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 and uh, tell you more about uh, what they're doing. Uh, The first uh, panelist is Minister Cosgrove. Uh, Please, uh, you have the floor.
2: Hello. Uh, Thank you very much, Mitch, for the introduction. Um, As uh, introduced, I'm Minister Wallace Cosgrove from the Seychelles. I'm the Minister for uh, Environment, Energy and Climate Change. Um, First of all, uh, I know that the topic of discussion is uh, on on, uh, finance, but uh, I would like to introduce a bit uh, my country, Seychelles, and uh, and try and put things into perspective and uh, eventually move on to what we are doing in the Seychelles. Uh, uh, Countries like Seychelles, uh, small island developing states, um, where where financing uh, more particularly Private financing uh, have an impact on on our countries, and how how beneficial or or how difficult sometimes it is to get private investment. Um, and then I will talk a bit about uh, two of the uh, um, investments that we have had in the Seychelles in terms of uh, uh, private private capital. So basically, like I said, um, uh, we have to bear in mind that I come from a small island developing state, and. Uh, and having said that, we have to understand the specificities and characteristics of small, of small islands and countries like, like mine. Uh, I, I know it's been, it's been alluded earlier by countries uh, from, from Maldives, from uh, Antigua and Barbuda. Um, they have discussed about uh, the size of our countries, the isolation of our countries, uh, the resources uh, that we have available, the vulnerability of our countries, and of course uh, uh, they've talked about the urgency for action now all of these impact uh, uh, has an impact on 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 financing uh, uh, climate uh, climate uh, actions uh, having said that uh, you know most of these countries are within a developmental stage and uh, this presents a unique opportunities for us uh, to be able to have a sustainable development, development that in the future we will be able to perhaps introduce uh, smart climate uh, initiatives wh- when it comes to, to power generation, when it comes to, to other sectors that have an impact on the climate. So there is an opportunity for us, small island developing states, for us to do it right uh, um, because we are at this stage of, of development where investments can be, can be put uh, into the right way. Now, having said that, uh, um, it, is, it is a challenge. It is a challenge in, in smaller countries to have private sector investment into, into uh, uh, climate uh, solutions. Most specifically, again, like I said, uh, sometimes it doesn't make really make sense in terms of the size in terms of the level of investments that private sector needs to, to undertake because sometimes uh, um, financial institutions don't make it attractive for these, these private organizations to invest in, um, in climate smart initiatives. But uh, like you said, um, increasingly now they are adding a third bottom line, which is uh, uh, social responsibility. And, uh, and we know that n- now big, big companies are now very much interested into uh, putting climate issues, environmental issues into their business agenda because, not only because it is fashionable, but we know that it makes sense. It makes sense for the uh, viability of their businesses for the future. So, so big companies are now, are now looking at, uh, ways to, uh, to include sorry environment and, and climate issues into their business models. Um, in the Seychelles, like I've said, we, we have issues, uh, and I'm sure a lot of uh, small island developing states would, would agree with me, we have issues with uh, um, local f- uh, financial institutions to invest in, in for example, renewable energy, um, to invest in other climate smart initiatives. But what we have done uh, over the past years, I think we came, we came up with two uh, innovative uh, uh, modes of financing uh, uh, environment, which eventually leads to, to, to financing uh, climate smart initiatives. One which I would li- like to talk about is, is uh, the nature debt for nature swap, which we did uh, together with uh, TNC. Um, what we basically did was we took part of our debt, and I know a lot of countries like us, uh, small countries, have a lot of, of debt because we need, we need the money to, to develop. So we took part of our debt and uh, converted it into, into uh, money that could be used for nature protection. And as part of the agreement that we had is that we would, use, we would uh, swap around 22 million US dollars of debt into nature con- uh, conservation. And in that sense, we, would, we agreed to, to do what we call a marine special plan. We agreed to protect 30% of our EZ, which is basically around 400 square kilometres, million square kilometres, sorry, 400,000 square kilometres of our EZ, which is basically a 1.3 million square kilometres EZ. And this uh, uh, this 30% equals to the size of uh, of uh, the UK, if I'm not mistaken. So it's quite significant, and perhaps many would ask uh, what is the relation between this dead swap uh, uh, and, and, and climate. So basically, what we're doing with the marine spatial plan, we're having 30% uh, um, uh, protection areas, where we have 15% which is basically no take protected, where you have areas of seagrass, areas of, of uh, 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 beauty, coral, and other lives. So we would perhaps use these these areas for us to 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 now input in our next ambitious NDC using the ocean as part of the of the of the NDC where we would uh, uh, allow because we all know that uh, what it is it has been uh, uh, defined and agreed that uh, you know seagrass oceans absorb the carbon so part of part of uh, what we are doing will impact on our climate, uh, uh, climate actions. So that part of the debt swap is, is basically getting money to invest in nature, invest in conservation, and eventually uh, that would link to, to climate actions. We also have another, another instrument which we developed together with the World Bank and the uh, GEF, which is basically the world's first blue bond. The world's first blue bond is, uh, for Seychelles, is around 15 million US dollars. Uh, part of it is a grant component, and uh, part of it is a loan component. The grant component uh, finances uh, small businesses, uh, 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 which has businesses within the marine uh, area, sustainable fisheries, conservation, and uh, also the loan. The loan part of it uh, allows for for bigger companies to to invest in, in uh, sustainable fisheries as well. So what's interesting about this is that the grant component uh, can act as a, um, an incubator, if I can put it like this, which allows for small businesses to incubate a business. And then eventually, if it makes sense, if it's, uh, if it's uh, well, um, profitable, then the loan component can, 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 be, can be taken. So basically, the blue bond also allows us for conservation, which in eventually will lead to uh, climate uh, climate smart actions. Uh, so I wanted to touch a bit on on those two on those two instruments, which are private sector uh, um, driven and. Uh, and the opportunities for small countries, even though it's difficult for us to go on the capital markets and get uh, finances, there are possibilities for small countries like Seychelles and other small island developing states to, to, to get private financing and to help move with, uh, with uh, financing uh, uh, climate um, initiatives. So basically this is what I wanted to discuss about and perhaps we can discuss uh, further eventually while we interact. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, uh, Minister Cosgrove. C- certainly, uh, your country looks like it's using some uh, really good financial structures to uh, meet its uh, climate change uh, mandate. Let's uh, introduce uh, Camilla uh, from EBRD. No, uh, EBRD is no stranger to uh, financing climate change activity across the globe. Uh, Camilla, if you could please introduce yourself, maybe share your experience in business models, technology that pushes the frontier of innovation. Uh, as well as uh, innovative approaches to mobilizing public and private sector to do good things in uh, climate space.
3: Thank you very much for the introduction. Um very pleased to be here. My name is Camilla Otto. I'm in charge of donor relations at the EBRD, the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. Uh, this is actually the first time in, I'm in Songdo and the first time I'm at the GCF. Uh, but DCF is uh, one of our absolute biggest donors and key partners, so it was long overdue my visit, but very happy to be here and to contribute. I thought I'd say a few words of introduction uh, of, about the EBRD and then focus a little bit on how we operate. Um, so, we have been around since 1991. We, as an institution, sprang out of the end of the Cold War Um, and the end to uh, the Soviet Union, Yugoslavia, and places like that, which had a a, a very transformative changes for those countries. The idea when the EBRD was set up was to help these countries then transition from central planned economies into well-functioning market economies. Uh, And as part of that uh, was a, a mandate to promote private sector development, to promote entrepreneurship, and help countries set up good Um, business and investment climates in their country so that private sector can flourish. And today the bank focused very much on private sector in its work. About 80% of all we do is directed towards uh, private sector clients and private sector development activities. Now EBRD was not meant to be here forever. We were what was called a sunset bank. Uh, We were supposed to have sorted out these questions of transfer from planned economies to well-functioning market economies in, in a decade or so. Uh, let's say that the mission has not yet been fully accomplished. There are still challenges out there and new challenges have come to the fore. So. Um, in the, um, Falling on from the Arab Spring in 2011, 12, 13 onwards, it was decided to expand the bank's uh, remit also to North Africa and some countries in the Middle East. And now we are very active in these parts of the world, and I think we are here to stay. Um, we started to work on the green agenda, if I can put it in those simple terms, um, around 2006, but it picked up a lot around 2008 and 9, when this agenda really took off uh, with lots of new commitments, the establishment of new institutions, the, the G8 at Glen Eagles, etc., and, and ever since then we have been extremely active in this part. Um, It is, I think, very justified in the region we work in. We work in 38 countries, from Morocco to Mongolia, from Estonia to Egypt, we usually say. Um, So it is a configuration which uh, springs from what I just explained, our history and our origin. You have in our region um, many countries who have a very um, high water stress, so the issue of... um, irrigation, access to water, etc., and water and wastewater management is high. You have in our countries, many in our region, many countries that are very carbon intensive. They have a higher carbon intensity than the world average. Uh, You have many industries that are extremely polluting, and you have also in our countries a low penetration of renewable energies. So there's good reasons for us to focus uh, a lot on the green agenda. And we also believe that... um, The green agenda is indeed uh, critical for a well-functioning market economy. So we are trying to help countries build low-carbon and climate-resilient economies. We have set ourselves some really ambitious targets. So 40% of what we are doing in any given year is supposed to be uh, in in the green space. Um, And uh, we are now... um, our investment volumes in this field is about 30 billion uh, euros since, uh, since for the last 15 years, and almost 2,000 different projects. Now, uh, I just wanted to turn the attention a little bit to innovation and how we operate as a bank, because um, I was the subject of this panel. Um, we believe we are actually quite an innovative institution and operate in in quite an innovative way and wanted to share that uh, a little bit with you. And we are certainly applying this in our cooperation with the Green Climate Fund. So I had four points that I will walk walk through quickly. Um, The first point is uh, our business model. So we have established over time, and this was not how it worked from the beginning, but it's emerged in recent years, a sort of triangular business model where we are combining investment, which can be either the bank's own investment or investment by donors, with policy dialogue, which is key uh, support to develop the right policy framework for, for, uh, for the country in question or the sector in question, and technical support and technical expertise. And the, and the key is to find the right combination of all of these factors to have effective projects and to have real impact. And when we are working with GCF, we are very much applying this model. For example, um, our big renewable energy project or framework rather with Kazakhstan is a good example of operating exactly like this. We have worked with the authorities to help them develop a, a renewable energy legislation. And we are also investing our own resources and GCF resources in, in, in introducing the first renewable energy um, power sources into the country. A second way that we operate in, um, which, which we believe is absolutely crucial for the agenda, is our ability to scale up and to leverage. It's very clear that the challenges are such that just grant-based resources or a little bit here and there is not going to be enough. It's extremely important that we are acting at scale and that we are scaling up. And EBOD does that by putting its own money on the table and that by blending that with the resources of donors such as the Green Climate Fund but also private sector, very important and by doing that we can leverage a lot of more resources. So we leverage it in different ways and one of our main targets is to get the private sector to also add additional resources to our investments, so that they are engaging as well and we are pumping more private sector resources into the, into the sectors and into the markets. We also work um, for many of our projects uh, through a business model, which is uh, using intermediated finance, it's called. So we work through local banking systems in countries, uh, and by offering support and credit lines to local banks and banking sectors, who in turn then extend these loans to um, users, clients, investors, could be households, could be SMEs, could be mid-caps, for investing in various types of green technologies, energy-efficient solutions, whatever it may be, we reach out to a large, large number of beneficiaries. So we provide not only support to the banking sector, but we also open up new markets uh, for more green technologies. So this is uh, very crucial for us, and it's a way for us to act up and scale. Uh, With the GCF we have a quite large portfolio, I believe we are one of the biggest accredited entities for the moment, but the the vast majority of our portfolio with the uh, GCF is reimbursable loans, which means that these activities, when they have been well invested, will of course come back to the organisation and can be reused and reused, and this is of course a different way to reach scale. A third dimension that we focus on in terms of being innovative is, of course, to use, deploy, develop and boost new technologies and new solutions. Uh, And This is where we are uh, working uh, very, very actively using GCF resources to boost that in various uh, situations. You will have seen, I think, on the videos for the first day, the fantastic solar park in Benban in Egypt, where we are, together with the GCF, supporting new technologies. It's called bifacial solar modules with solar tracking systems. These are, these are high-tech ways of getting the most of energy out of the sun uh, with the least possible uh, investment. And so, so we stand behind these things, trying to create markets for it, trying to bring down the prices and the transaction costs for these. We work in many other areas as well, which are innovative, whether it's efficient cooling systems, material efficiency savings, etc., and has various programs and projects to help promote new and innovative technologies. The last aspect is innovative financing solutions, and I think the Minister just uh, 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 represented some really interesting examples of blue bonds, etc., and and, uh, swapping debt for natural resources (laughs) conservation, which which makes all the rest of us green with envy. We work as much as we can in setting up uh, various kinds of arrangements. uh, that works. We, we try to be flexible, so we adapt the financial solution, solutions to the countries, the clients, the sectors where we are in, and we are very, very happy to take risks. We are a bank, so we take calculated risks, but we take risks and we think it's very important to take risks to be able to scale up. So. Uh, One way we're working with, and I know that GCF also has these facilities, is working through guarantees and first loss. So these are funding solutions, which can be extremely effective if they are well-structured and actually protect resources and you can leverage enormously. So with little money put aside as a guarantee, as a first loss facility, you can expand your investment and you can reach much further with the same. So the same US dollar or euro goes very, very far. Another way we are trying to be slightly different from others is that we are funding and supporting at sub-sovereign level. So not only do we work with sovereign, and certainly we work with private clients, that's one of our main activities. We are one of the few MDBs that also work at sub-sovereign level, so we are pr- we're supporting municipalities directly and local utility firms. And this is quite crucial because a lot of the activities, of course, and a lot of people live in mun- at municipal level, and there's a lot of activities that needs to happen. And some of the activities we're doing with the GCF, it's called Green Cities. It's a package solution again, where we're bringing in the triangle of different things. But this is focusing at sub-sovereign level, helping um, municipalities to launch a package of investments and policy plans that are setting them on a path for uh, low carbon growth. The final uh, uh, aspect of our financing models are local currency. Uh, we are actually the, uh, the, the MDB or the IFI who provides most of our uh, transactions and projects in local currency compared to others. We believe this is crucial because local currencies, or, or, or not local currencies international currencies, can be extremely detrimental for countries uh, in terms of um, um, currency fluctuations and volatility. So we convert with the help of donor resources to be able to hedge the risks. Um, uh, many loans into local currency and then we are in a different affordability scheme and an and, uh, impact on end users and investors and companies and people can be much more positive. So these are various types of ways that we are working with the private sector to be innovative, to reach out new technologies at scale, blending with others and in partnerships. I'll stop here, but I'll be very happy to take questions afterwards. Thank you. Uh,
1: thank you, Camilla. Uh, all the things you mentioned are one reason the GCF is such a strong partner. You will introduce a very good uh, climate uh, uh, change uh, deals to us, and we're happy to finance, uh, help co-finance. Uh, our next uh, panelist, Kate. Kate uh, is from uh, Acumen. Uh, one of our first uh, investments by the GCF was to uh, Acumint. Um, uh, Kate, uh, uh, you guys are uh, early in the shaping of impact investing. Uh, How does Acumen drive critical investments in the climate nexus by delivering on the SDGs, uh, generate competitive return at the same time? Please.
4: Great. Um, Thank you all so much. My name is Kate Montgomery. Um, I'm director of uh, partnerships uh, with governments particularly, um, including our relationship with GCF, most recently. Um, Acumen is incredibly proud to be working with GCF. Like Mitch mentioned, we were one of the first accredited entities. Acumen's mission is, is to change the way the world tackles poverty, by investing in companies, leaders, and ideas. We, our model uses investing to catalyze market solutions where traditional markets have not yet reached, and where aid has fallen short. We invest in what we call the pioneer gap, so innovative companies who are serving the poor. Um, and providing access to, you know, goods and services um, for, for those that need it most. Um, we've, over, we've invested over $124 million in 122 innovative social enterprises in 14 countries. That's leveraged an additional $600 million, um, and we've impacted over 216 million lives. Um, so really the model is about finding the innovative companies that are, that are serving um, those Uh, that are low-income in developing markets um, and really finding the way to give them the capital that they need to succeed. What we found is that, um, you know, we've done this for about 18 years and we know that different types of capital is needed for different stages of organizational and market growth. Um, We've also seen that access to finance is is still a major challenge for early-stage businesses. So we're really trying to come, you know, in the first Two to three years of a business's development and give them the capital that they need to succeed it often means that we stay in companies for about 10 to 12 years um, and and really see them through their stages of growth as they're really trying to figure out their business models um, and figure out you know how how best to serve these populations in a profitable manner um, and and you know finance is, is still a major challenge and more capital is needed and quickly um, this is where GCF has stepped in. So um, about three years ago, we started, we've been investing in off-grid energy for about uh, 12 years and in agriculture for about 11 years. And and what we found was, you know, we've been doing a lot of investing in individual companies, but we really wanted to switch our focus to um, really look at, at systems change. And so with the support from GCF, we've built a 70 million for-profit initiative focused solely on East Africa, to help grow companies that will be, build an off grid energy ecosystem. And the target is to bring um, energy access to 10 million low income customers while saving over 1 million tons of CO2. Um, the hypothesis was really about how do we prove to the government that off grid is faster, cheaper, and more effective than, it, than extending the grid. Um, we got an anchor investment from GCF of about 20 million, and from that, we've leveraged Another 50 million to, to get to the 70 million um, target from other private sector investors, including Skull Foundation, private investors like Chris Anderson of, of Ted and Steve, Steve Jervinson. And uh, now uh, the Kawasafi and uh, Kawasafi Ventures is the name of the fund. Um, it closed late last year, and already it's invested over $20 million in about five companies. Um, the companies, again, have already reached about 6.5, 6.4 million lives in East Africa with energy access, and, and our target was 1 million tons, but we've already um, averted about 2.2 million tons of CO2 in just those two countries. Um, and the fund is, is making sustainable contributions to um, energy access rates in both Kenya and Rwanda, and also uh, contributing to the to country's NDC targets to reduce climate emissions. So in, in just the energy access side, Kawasafi companies have brought energy access to 5.8 million in Kenya and about 626,000 in Rwanda. Um, and again, you know, this is you know, places where the uh, access rate is about 65% in Kenya, and in Rwanda it's about 30%. So in that way, we're kind of you know making um, cont- you know uh, significant contributions, and then on the climate emission sides, um, you know Kenya's NDC target by 2030 is 42.9 million tons, and again we've already averted about 500,000 tons in Kenya alone. Um, to give you an example of one of the companies that we've invested in, um, their name is Delight. They are an off-grid energy company that creates small solar. So, um, you know, first it was really solar lanterns. Um, you know, their, their their most affordable one is a five-dollar solar lantern that can be used as a study light for kids that that needed to study um, in school. And then they've also expanded into their largest system is is a home system. So this is you know a it has lighting, it has a TV, um, and and they can pay for it over time, which allows you know, the poorest to be able to access something that, you know, can give them a TV, which means they can pay as much as as they can afford over a day or a week or a month, and then eventually pay it off over time. And in that way, these companies are really innovating um, and, you know, to serve these populations. Um, And and for example, that company alone, you know, it was one of our first investments in off-grid energy. Um, They've now impacted alone just 94 million lives and uh, they've reached uh, 100 million in revenue. So it's a real success story, and, and it's really proving out this idea that you can have a for-profit, innovative company that can really you know, address a, um, a huge challenge in energy access um, for the poorest. Another thing I wanna talk about is um, our new, you know, based on that success, we've now gone back to GCF and we're actually co-creating a new initiative that's really looking at sustainable agriculture. So we've been investing in smallholder farmers for about uh, 11 years, as I mentioned. Um, just, you know, a couple stats to kind of set the context. Um, about two, pi- 2 billion people in the world uh, work on smallholder farms across the globe. They produce roughly 70% of the world's food, but live on less than $2 a day and struggles to make ends meet. And their farms and their livelihoods are expected to bear the brunt of the negative effects of climate change. They, you know, are on the front line of the severe droughts and um, intense rain that we're seeing across, across the globe. Um, and while you know, the African continent is home to about 25% of the world's agricultural land, it produced just 10% of the world's food. So there's also a big challenge there in terms of productivity. Um, so we were, we were starting to see um, many, you know, companies, social enterprises, starting to look at how to serve these smallholder farmers to make them more productive, etc., but also apply, you know, a climate resilience lens um, to, their, to their innovations. Um, and, and that really, you know, and G- with the partnership of GCF, they really pushed us to say, you know, could we think about this, you know, from an adaptation lens? And together we, we're, we're building an initiative to enhance the climate resilience and livelihoods of smallholder farmers. So you know, our view is really how do we kind of make these farmers more sustainable um, and, and GCF really pushed us to think about how do we make you know, them more resilient as well. And so um, you know, we're working on an initiative to focus on early stage equity investments into businesses that deliver climate adaptation solutions to smallholder farmers in Africa. Its aim is to impact 10 million lives in East and West Africa by supporting about uh, 15 early growth stage companies um, or agribusinesses that align with cloud adaptation objectives of smallholder farmers and the African governments. Um, and GCF has seeded the initiative with an investment towards a catalytic first loss facility, which is really interesting because that first loss facility is allowing us to track, uh, you know. Give low-risk opportunities to the private sector to invest senior equity um, in this fund and um, this unique financial instrument allows Acumen and our companies to innovate um, and experiment while still scaling and helping us de risk a highly risky early stage businesses in Africa um, and and this the funding will also support us to enable us to measure uh, the poverty focus and the impact of these investments um, Yeah, so we're we're really excited about this opportunity. We really hope uh, we can do more together, but those are just a couple of examples of how Acumen and GCF are working together to innovatively address these issues. Uh,
1: Thanks, Kate. Uh, As Kate mentioned, uh, one of the uh, features of GCF is the ability to take on risk, uh, such as uh, the bottom of the capital structure, uh, such as uh, equity investments, uh, to make uh, the more senior investors feel comfortable in entering uh, in uh, in scale. So that's that's a good feature uh, of the GCF. Thanks for that. Uh, Kate, our our next uh, panelist, Joe, a colleague of mine, head of the uh, Independent Evaluation Unit. Joe recently completed a performance review of the fund. Joe, please introduce yourself, share your recommendations for mobilizing private sector finance at scale, uh, uh, following your forward look in performance evaluation.
5: Thank you so much, Mitch. Yeah, thank you so much, Mitch really a privilege for me to be here and uh, for me to be sharing the stage with uh, the Minister and Camilla and Kate. And um, I think, uh, so just by way of introduction, uh, let me just briefly talk about the Independent Evaluation Unit. The Independent Evaluation Unit is part of the GCF structure. Uh, but is independent of the Secretariat and reports directly to the board. So I report directly to the board, and, and I have a team, uh, many of whom are here, And uh, we're located in G Tower as well. And we've got, as part of our mandate, we've got three big things that we basically look at. First, in terms of our responsibility, the board has mandated that the IEU, the Independent Evaluation Unit, provide strategic guidance to the board on and for its decision-making. And the way we translate that for our own actions and for our own operations is that we put together, synthesize, produce, and and get ready for, provide ready-for-uptake evidence from evaluations so that the secretariat, the GCF board, as well as the world in general can use it To essentially go forward in an evidence-based way so that's one the second thing that we asked to do is to undertake evaluations and these evaluations are done at different levels so they can be um, the you know an evaluation of the GCF so like Mitch said we just finished a very short um, evaluation of the performance of the GCF and I'm going to encourage you all to take a look at it Um, We have a booth outside, uh, definitely engage with my colleagues. It's also available on our website. And this was welcomed by the board at the most uh, recent board meeting that was held in Songdo. Um, And the performance review of the GCF essentially was done um, as one of the many types of evaluations that DIU undertakes, along with country evaluations, thematic evaluations, So, for example, we've also done evaluations of the readiness program uh, of the GCF, and we've also looked at the results management framework of the GCF. And we see ourselves essentially as um, truth-speaking friends of the the GCF secretariat. So um, we definitely have our ear to the ground, but it's my job to go and speak to Mitch as well as to Yannick um, and to say, well, yeah, we're doing well, but we can do much better. And this is how we can do much better, right? So tough love. Um, And then the third thing that we do is also uh, provide these evaluations to the UNFCCC and to the COP as and when it's requested. So as part of all of that, um, our office started essentially in 2017, which is when I joined, and now I have an office of about 24 people. So let me talk very briefly then, Mitch, uh, about some of the things that I think came out for us quite saliently in the performance review of the GCF. And um, what I do want to underscore is that overall we found that, you know, for its youth, uh, the GCF was doing well, but it can do far better. And so I'm going to make three points about where the GCF should be doing far more um, than it is doing now. The first is um, recognizing that science is not enough. We know this. Many of us are scientists. I think this was mentioned yesterday as well. But what I mean by that is that we've had too many years, both in the development space as well as in the agriculture space, of recognizing that, well, most of us know what we should be doing. Except we don't. Behavioral science has to be made sexy again. And we're not doing enough to, do, to make that sexy and cool. And why that is important is that the organizations such as GCF, such as EBRD, such as Acumen, uh, can keep putting out science, can keep putting out evidence, and can keep trying to think about policy change. But unless we are thinking about that last mile of delivery, Unless we are thinking about what is going to make us take action which uh, uh, within the many years of action that we want to take, this is going to be insufficient. We've seen this, for example, we all know we should go to the gym. We don't go to the gym. We all know we shouldn't smoke. We still, many of us still do smoke, etc. So behavioral science has to be made cool again, and it has to be incorporated into GCF investments because that is what is going to make us realize that last mile for gcf investments we can keep putting out climate information infrastructure we can keep putting out new policies but unless we take care of that last mile we're not going to be achieving um, what we set out to especially for climate Um, and that becomes particularly salient because this is where we have seen i think traditionally climate change has been a failure of science communicating well in the context of behavior. So that's my first one, so make behavioral science sexy again. The second one um, that we also pointed out in the performance review of the GCF is innovate. Innovate in financial instruments. Uh, My colleagues here spoke about innovation um, within their own organizations and the extent to which GCF is supporting that. Um, Interestingly for me, uh, we actually looked at the project in Egypt, Camilla, and we also looked at the action work in uh, Rwanda and Uganda, very exciting, Um, and of course we, you know, in. Uh, in Egypt, we felt GCF could have done more, for example, because GCF was coming in for a very small percentage of that overall investment. And so our question to our GCF colleagues was, yes, um, we can take credit for a huge amount of innovation that our partners are showing, but we need to do far more because our investment was less than 10%, actually. In the case of um, um, Acumen, um, so... Fantastic work, I think, from all organizations. But our our big uncomfortable question that we started to ask was, well, why is it that we're not scaling this far more? Um, Acumen is one of very few organizations uh, um, that GCF is working with that truly represents the private sector. But mostly GCF works with multilateral banks, um, and that's where it leverages most from. Um, If you look at the leveraging ratio of uh, every dollar invested by GCF, it's two and a half dollars for every dollar. It's slightly more for private sector projects compared to public sector, compared to uh, mitigation and adaptation and public sector projects, but uh, the differential is not as large as it could be. So if GCF truly wants to be paradigm shifting and transformational, it has to go and be able to leverage this impact in greater and bigger ways. One of the things, and Minister, thank you so much for bringing up this idea and also talking about a blue bond. One of the things that we've been talking about with the Secretariat is uh, introducing or thinking about climate impact bonds or resili- resilience bonds. Things that uh, the GCF can and should be doing thinking about as it innovates in this space so that resilience and climate impact can be monetized in a way which is um, clearly come of age. So there are blue bonds and there are green bonds Uh, but clearly and we've we've been seeing this in the development impact space that you can look at and I think this has been an urban legend uh, for far too long for example that adaptation cannot and is not open to private sector initiatives. I think we want to take the other side of it. One, if the private sector has not traditionally played a big role in adaptation, then GCF has to take the first, uh, has to make the first move in that space because that space is uh, rich with possibility. But I think I want to make a stronger statement there and argue that A lot of other agencies are actually doing a whole lot more in the adaptation space and innovating with the private sector by creating symbiotic ecosystems and what I mean by that is this Um, if you if you look at your cell phone and you have Google and Siri and you all have Apple cell phones a lot of that innovation was not done by the private sector A lot of that innovation was actually supported by states, by um, organizations and by states that can take on a lot of risk. And then BC funding came in at a second stage to then support what was possibly effective and or scalable. The GCF is in a fantastic position where it can take advantage of that cascading possibility. You can come in with the grant facilities, so currently 40% of GCF's resources are currently in grants. You can come in with a grant facility, take a lot of that risk, go in for something that is truly innovative, and then get the private sector to come in at skills that are far larger. That also helps the GCF to innovate. But thinking about these um, symbiotic ecosystems, where grants and non-grants instruments are combined together is clearly one way that GCF has to really really pursue and to think about resilience bonds as well as climate impact bonds. Um, And then the third thing that we recommended in the performance review as well is to think about, for example, an innovation hub. An innovation hub where and I'm going to only throw this out as an example um, and to to get your imagination somewhat stimulated, where GCF can be the Elon Musk, essentially, in the innovation space. Um, Because if not GCF, then who? So innovation hubs where GCF is also ready for some amount of failure where some projects fail, and it's okay for that to happen as long as we learn from what has not worked so that we can then lead in that space and tell the rest of the world this is what works and this is what does not work, but have set a very high bar for what is allowed to be funded by that innovation hub. Um, So I'm going to essentially leave it there, Um, uh, so just to summarize behavioral science, make it sexy again. Innovate in financial instruments and think about symbiotic ecosystems and think about climate impact bonds and resilience bonds, and third, be ready for failure and set up innovation hubs so that uh, GCF is far more proactive rather than reactive um, within the innovation space. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Joe. I'd like to turn to our audience now to see if we have any questions out there for our panelists. I don't uh, see any hands, but uh, I certainly have a couple of questions. Uh, Minister Cosgrove, we heard uh, swaps, FIs, uh, <laughs> financial guys uh, like myself, those things uh, that pique my interest of course. But uh, the uh, the swap uh, you mentioned, is it possible to use that for uh, uh, climate also? Especially since you mentioned the SIDS are leveraged, highly leveraged, don't have any headroom for borrowing. Uh, what's, what's your thought uh, there?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you, Mitch. Uh, I think I think uh, if you look at what we did, uh, what we did in the Seychelles. Um, so the swap is basically for conservation, but conservation eventually leading to to climate. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's definitely doable, we just need to get our hearts together and, and get the organizations to think how we can leverage the funds, bring the funds together, and, 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 get, uh, uh, and, and also get countries to be interested, countries to be interested to, 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 to take the risk and to, to be part of conservation measures, which would eventually later lead uh, to the right climate actions. So I think the funds the 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 debt swap can definitely be adapted to to climate uh and uh, and we just need to have the right uh, uh mechanisms and get countries and and investors to to align their interest and 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 get moving so i think it's it's a uh, hundred percent doable thank you, thank
1: you. All right uh camilla um You mentioned uh, local FIs, you deal with local FIs to help them build capacity to finance climate change activity. Uh, In some sense, financing climate change activity is more difficult than traditional infrastructure financing, uh, because infrastructure financing has been done and they're perfected for decades, if not uh, centuries. Um, How do we we help build the capacity as local FIs to take on uh, the needs of their countries uh, a little better?
3: There is uh, thankfully a lot of expertise out there and uh, um, by bringing the the expertise to where the needs are, we we are finding the solutions. So this is why the uh, the packages that I talked about before are so crucial, that we are identifying together with authorities what their needs are. We are bringing resources and we are bringing expertise together so that we can find the solutions. So definitely there is possibilities to do that. There is ample opportunities around the world. We are working a lot with uh, with uh, local municipalities to uh, do precisely that in what we call the Green City Framework Program. And we are sitting together with the authorities. We are establishing action plans which are identifying the priorities for the cities, we have a kind of a minimum of 100,000 for the cities we are working with, uh, but that can change over time, so that we are also not just going for the capitals, but for secondary and tertiary cities. Uh, We're bringing in expertise that are helping in this uh, exercise of identifying what are the challenges and the priorities. We are are bringing in expertise in various specific areas which are typical for this in this field. It could be um, urban transport, it could be solid waste, water management, district heating, lighting, things like that. Uh, And then we're bringing in the financing together to build on the advice that they are giving. So it's a combination of all of these things. It does take a bit of grant resources. Some of these things are not reimbursable and commercial in the same way. Investments are eventually. But capacity building needs to be um, accompanied with grant resources. Um, So this is the model that we're working. It's a huge need out there. Uh, And as as donors and financiers, we have to find find this dimension on every investment that we are doing.
1: Thank you. Maybe a, an, another question, as Joe mentioned, a lot of the innovation comes out of uh, national labs, for example, for energy, um, and then the private side helps uh, make that commercially viable by helping them get to market with their product, that's been proven. Uh, GCF is, has a mandate to invest in these technologies also that could have a disruptive impact on climate change. Uh, and, uh, and this is open to any of the panelists, uh, any recommendation and suggestion how Uh, GCF should get started uh, on this effort. I think you guys are, uh, Kate, uh, you you guys have been doing this a long time, so please jump in.
4: Yeah, I mean, kind of building on on Joe's point about behavioral economics and kind of creating an ecosystem. um, So the new project we're working on, um, the Resilient Agriculture uh, Fund, we're actually, we got support from uh, DFID, the the UK Development uh, Department, to really kind of put a, a research sidecar On the side of that, um, with a thesis to say, you know, the the companies that we want to invest in are companies that are um, creating innovation around climate resilient technologies or services or practices, and then they're trying to bring them to smallholder farmers and get them to adopt them. Um, But that, in and of itself, is somewhat of a, a complicated proposition, right? So, you know, poor farmers are some of the most risk adverse people in the world. Um, you'll often see that you know they'll they'll work in a partnership um, with someone, and they you know they'll have a huge success. They'll you know increase their productivity by you know hundreds of percent. Yet they'll still keep a portion of their plot um, with their traditional uh, practices because they can't risk you know taking on a new practice or a new behavior and have it spoil their entire crop. And so. Um, so, it's, it's slow. And so, what we're doing actually with the Behavioral Economic um, Research Institute is building on a research angle to say, you know, how can we better understand the behaviors and decision making of smallholder farmers? And how can we then um, understand what it takes for them to uptake new technologies and what drives that uptake? And then, how can we support the companies that we invest in to, you know, take on that learning? And then um, better increase the uptake of of their behaviors and practices and so I I think it really builds on the point to say that it's not enough just to have you know the new innovation and you know new practices, etc., that are going to you know create more climate resilience. It's actually about how do you get smallholder farmers to adopt those practices, and and not only that's going to make our companies successful and therefore the fund successful, but um, we want it to influence you know way more than just the companies, the 15 companies that we're going to invest in. It really should be you know all the companies that are creating these innovations and bringing them to smallholder farmers. How can they learn from um, you know what it takes to get farmers to kind of Uh, adopt these behaviors at scale.
1: Thank you, uh, Kate. Uh, So we're out of time. Uh, One more public announcement on behalf of Joe Puri, please. There's a survey uh, in your packets from the independent evaluation unit. Please, uh, if you could do us a favor and complete it and and turn it back in, she would, uh, uh, she indicates that she would appreciate it. Uh, So thank you. So just to wrap up, it it certainly sounds there's a unique uh, and important opportunity exists that exists for public and private side entities to work together uh, to increase climate change-related uh, uh, flow of funds uh, in developing country. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, you know there's a patient capital needs to be considered here as in the developing world. So these are long-term commitments. Um, GCF, of course, could help de-risk a lot of the transactions to help the private side actors uh, feel more comfortable in engaging in these transactions. Um, and certainly GCF could help prep, uh, with preparatory or readiness funds, help uh, build capacity within the country to take advantage, to help them take advantage of more sophisticated structuring and so forth, as Minister Cosgrove in, uh, alluded to. So uh, let's leave it at that. I hope you found this session useful, and I want to thank you and uh, our panelists again uh, for your support. Thank you. <laughs>